0: Listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist, we are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about twenty minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org.
1: Today's reading is from Luke sixteen, verses nine through 30, nineteen through thirty-one. You can find it on page eight fifty-one in your Bibles. in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to drip, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead.
0: Jessica, it's <clears throat> here it again for Ava. That was awesome. <clears throat> so, you all don't get to see the behind the scenes stuff, but that song was playing off of YouTube. And when, when she was practicing it earlier, ads kept cutting in. <laughs> and I'm not sure which I was rooting for more, <laughs> but that was awesome. It was good. It worked out. Um, good morning, though, everyone. Uh, it is awesome to be here with you today. For the last uh, two months, roughly, we've been working our way through the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and it's been a lot of fun, uh, at least for me. I'm having fun. Hopefully, you're all having fun, too. Um, But it has been a real blast for me to get to dive into some of these old stories, stories that I know some of us probably haven't heard since, like, Sunday school when we were, like, little kids, and get to flip them around, examine them, tear them apart, and see what wisdom they have for us today. Um, Throughout this series, we've looked at a wide variety of parables. Some have been really familiar, like uh, the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son. We've also looked at a few parables that um, are lesser known, or very unfamiliar. Last week, uh, we looked at the parable of the dishonest manager, and a number of folks told me after the service that that was the first time you'd heard that story, which makes it even more awesome that we were able to dive into it together. And I'm kind of curious, this morning we're looking at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and I just want to know by show of hands, how many folks are familiar with this one? How many folks have heard this one before? All right, that's that's a little more than half, like two-thirds. That's roughly what I was kind of suspecting. I figured this one would fall somewhere in the middle, somewhere between like the the parables everyone knows and the parables, the stories that almost nobody knows. And I got to say, this is a troubling one. This is a pretty disturbing story. If this parable was made into a movie, the genre would probably be horror, actually. Um, It kind of has the feel of some of those old evangelistic films from, like, the 1970s and 80s that weren't done very well. I don't know if anyone knows what I'm talking about. It'd be, like, these really low-budget movies that they would show at, like, revivals and things like that to kind of scare people into the faith. Um, It would always show, like, some person who has the chance to, like, receive the gospel and they don't, and then they die. And then they're in hell. Does anyone, know, does anyone know about this? Just me? Some people. We've got some hands. Some people know. That. I'm on vacation in a few weeks. Maybe I'll just have Jim play a bunch of those. I'm sure they're on YouTube. <laughs> we, won't, we probably won't do that. But yeah, this is a disturbing story. It's disturbing on one level because it depicts, it depicts someone going to what seems to be hell. Um, but it's doubly disturbing if you consider the reason he goes there. I want to reread the first part of this parable again, just so it's nice and fresh for everybody. So it's going to be on the screen. Luke chapter 16, we're starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, the rich man looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime, You received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, received evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Let's hit pause right there and talk our way through this a bit. So we've got this rich man and this poor man. That's the setup. And and the beginning of the parable really emphasizes the difference between the two of them. The the rich man lives in opulence. Big house, fine clothes, tons of fine food— While the poor man lays at the rich man's gate, covered in sores and starving. Then they both die, and the tables are turned. The poor man is taken by the angels to be with Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, while the rich man finds himself tormented in flames. Now, if this was one of those evangelistic movies from the 80s, this is where we'd expect to find the salvation message, right? This is where it would be like, don't let what happened to the rich man happen to you. Repent and give your life to Jesus before it's too late. But that's not what we get. Which is really interesting because Jesus is the one telling this story. And the explanation he provides for why this rich man is in agony is pretty disturbing. If it doesn't disturb you, it should. Because there's no mention at all of faith. The rich man isn't being tormented because of sin, or because he belonged to the wrong religion, or failed to follow God. It's pretty clear from the parable that the rich man is Jewish. Uh, He's a religious insider. He recognizes Father Abraham. Abraham calls him, my child. And there's no mention in the parable of the rich man lacking faith, violating the law, or even doing anything evil. The only explanation we're given for why this guy is in agony is because he had it good in this life. The last line here. Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. So this guy's being tortured in the afterlife because he's rich. Now, if that doesn't bother you, well, you're probably a Democrat. <laughs> Sorry. Bad joke. Bad joke. In all seriousness, though, if that doesn't bother you, it should, on at least some level. Because I'm pretty sure most of us in this room are American citizens, or at least live in America, and by global standards, at least, Americans are quite rich. So, like, as if that part of the story doesn't disturb us enough, we should probably also acknowledge that there's no mention of faith when it comes to the poor man, to Lazarus, either. There's no mention in this parable about Lazarus being particularly holy or righteous. There's no mention of him being a follower of Jesus. He hasn't accepted Jesus as his savior, as far as we know. This isn't Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, um, who Jesus rose from the dead. That's another story in another gospel, totally different context. Lazarus was a very common name, so we're talking about two different people. They're not the same. And there's nothing said at all about Lazarus' faith or even the content of his life other than the suffering he's endured, the evil things he received in this life, so that in the afterlife, he's carried off to the good place. No mention of faith. This parable essentially defies everything we've been taught to think and believe about the afterlife and how it works. We've been taught that what matters is your faith, not your economic level. But then Jesus tells a story about, like this, about a rich man who goes to hell because he's rich and a poor man who goes to heaven because he's poor. There's this saying in seminaries where they train pastors that nothing will mess up your theology like reading the Bible. I think that's true in this case. So what's going on here? How do we make sense of this very strange story with all its problematic implications for how we understand salvation and the afterlife? First thing you want to keep in mind, this is a parable. That's very important. Parable. It's made up. Jesus is making up this story. It's not a historical account of two actual people who lived and died. It's a parable. It's parabolic. The Good Samaritan was not a historical figure. The prodigal son, the rich fool, the the woman who lost her coin, these are not historical figures. These are characters and stories told by Jesus. They're not real. Jesus isn't pulling back the curtain here to give us a sneak peek of the afterlife. This is a metaphorical story being told to prove a point. I think oftentimes in our culture, um, we're like very deeply shaped by modern, secular, rationalistic approaches to thinking and truth. Um, we tend to only value historical fact. If it didn't happen, it's not important. If it didn't happen, it's not true. That is a very new way of thinking. Jesus comes from a culture 2,000 years ago that valued metaphor and myth and parables. Truths that are more than literally true. Stories that disclose ideas that kind of peel back reality and get at what's underneath. That's what the parables are about. All that to say that we should not be getting our ideas about the afterlife from a parable. And this parable in particular reflects a few ideas about the afterlife that are pretty foreign to how most Christians think about it today. We've already talked through a few of them, but there are more. For one, there's no actual mention of the words heaven and hell in this parable. Our Bibles say Hades. Many of us equate Hades with hell. But if you've ever read like Greek mythology, you know that Hades is nothing like our conception of hell. Hades is the underworld. It's the land of the dead. It's where the ancient Greeks believed that everyone goes, good or bad, when they die. It's not quite as clear from the English translation, but in the Greek, it's very clear that both Lazarus and the rich man are in Hades. They're just in different parts of the underworld. In Jesus' day, there were some Jewish folks who had adopted the idea of Hades from the Greeks. They called it Sheol. Can I hear you all say Sheol? Sheol. Sheol. Very good. Sheol literally means the grave or the pit. We find it in the Psalms even when uh, the psalmist says his soul cries out from Sheol, from the pit. And it's where some Jews in Jesus' time believed everyone went when they died to await the resurrection. Because remember, we've talked about this a bit before. In Judaism, the goal is not to go to heaven when you die. The goal is resurrection. That's the goal in much of the Bible, which was written by Jews. If you look at stories like Isaiah 11 or the end of the book of Revelation, The idea is that at the end of the world, there's this resurrection of the dead and a final judgment and a new heaven and a new earth that are created where God dwells with God's people for eternity. Resurrection is the goal. Now, in Jesus' day, most Jews were pretty agnostic about the afterlife. They didn't speculate much about what happened between death and resurrection, but some did. And some believed in Sheol. They had a lot of interesting theories and ideas about what Sheol was like. Some people believed that Sheol had different neighborhoods. There were nice parts of the underworld, and there were very, very bad neighborhoods in the underworld, places you don't want to go. The righteous, when we think about the heroes of the Old Testament, Moses, David, the prophets, they would all be gathered at the center of Sheol, at a giant banquet being hosted by Abraham. And the hope was that if you, if you lived a good life and you followed the law, you would also be welcomed to Abraham's side to enjoy this feast while you await the resurrection. But there are also dark places in Sheol. Places with fire that never went out, where the dead were tormented as they awaited the resurrection and final judgment. That's where the rich man in our story ends up. All that to say this is not heaven and hell as like final definitive destinations. This is the waiting room. This is uh, like the closest thing we maybe have to this would be like Catholic ideas of purgatory, but even that is pretty different from this. And I've got to emphasize one more time, this is a parable. It's a metaphor. This is not real life. Jesus is taking up first century Jewish speculation about what happens between death and resurrection. Speculation that is found nowhere else in the Bible other than this story. And he's using it to make a point. But what is the point? For that, we have to look at the context. This parable comes almost immediately after the one we looked at last week, the dishonest manager. That's a story about a man who's part of an unjust system. He makes his living exploiting the poor and the vulnerable, and when that system fails him, when it stops working, he changes sides. Out of sheer self-preservation, the dishonest manager goes around to all the people he's been ripping off, and he relieves a portion of their debts to make things right. And Jesus ended that parable with the famous line, it was the last line of our scripture reading last week, you cannot serve God and money. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, laugh at him. Check this out, it'll be on the screen, a bit before our passage, Luke 16, verse 13, this is Jesus talking at the beginning. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed him. So Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. Oh, <laughs> right? Like them, them's fighting words. Jesus, I don't know what side of the bed he got up on. That's great. The Pharisees mock Jesus for saying that you can't serve God and money. They, they laugh at this idea because they've figured it out, right? They've nailed it. They can do it. They're the righteous ones. They're the holy ones, the religious elite. And they've managed to make an awful lot of money in the process. So they laugh. And in response, Jesus tells this story about a man living in opulence, big house, great clothes, great food, while another man, a fellow Israelite, lies starving at his gate. And when they both die and end up in Sheol, Hades, the grave, there's no mention of who was righteous and who was unrighteous who was clean, who was unclean, who had faith, who didn't, all those things the Pharisees had going for them are nowhere to be found in the story. All we're told is that the tables are turned, the rich man is in agony, and the poor man is reclining at Abraham's side. Remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner received evil things, but now he is comforted here, while you are in agony. This isn't a story about the afterlife. This is a story about righteousness and holiness and what it really looks like to follow God. Oftentimes I think we make the same mistakes as the Pharisees. We think it's all about having the right beliefs having the right doctrine following the rules checking all the right theological boxes so that we're in so that we're blessed so that we're favored by god meanwhile there are people at our gates who are starving and i know you guys i know it's really hard to see ourselves in the rich man It's hard to see ourselves in the bad guy, in the Pharisee, because it doesn't feel like we're all that rich. It doesn't feel like our lives are that opulent. We have financial struggles. Bills pile up. We face hardships. We all go through that. Financial crises, you name it. By like modern American standards, most of us in this room would not be considered rich. But I know that my life and my experiences are way closer to the rich man than they are to Lazarus. I don't worry about where my next meal is coming from. I'm pretty confident that after church today, I'm going to clean up, lock the doors, head home, and have lunch. There are people in our communities who don't know that. There could be people in this sanctuary right now who don't know that. I know that if I get sick or if I have an injury, I'm not going to be left destitute because I have decent insurance. There are people in our communities who don't know that. When I drop my kids off at school in the morning, I don't worry about never seeing them again if ice raids my place of employment. There are people in our community, people working on our farms, providing our food, who don't know that. We are the rich man in this story. Most of us. And the question is, what are we doing with our wealth? What are we doing with the power and the privilege we've been given? Are we using it to bless others, or are we using it to bless ourselves. The rich man tells Father Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers. This is after he's already ordered Lazarus to dip his finger in some cool water and come cool his tongue. It's adorable, even in the afterlife, this rich guy thinks he should be the one giving the orders to Lazarus. And that leads to the closing line of this story. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. That's foreshadowing, by the way. Hopefully we pick that up. We are a community founded by and centered on the resurrection of Jesus. That's what constitutes the church. That's what brings us here, is the resurrection. That's not enough. If you want to be holy, if you want to be righteous, if you want to follow God as a disciple of Jesus, it takes more than just believing the resurrection. And I'm not talking about salvation by works or earning your way into heaven or anything like that. I'm talking about holiness and what it looks like to be a disciple. If we think we're following Jesus by believing the right stuff, while turning a blind eye to the suffering and injustices around us, we are not following Jesus. If you want to be holy, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, then lay down your wealth, lay down your power and your privilege, take up your cross, and follow Jesus into the margins. That's what holiness looks like. Let's pray. God, we repent. We repent of the ways that we have acted like the rich man in this story. We confess that we have feasted while people at our gates are starving. So God, help us Help us to join you in the margins of our world. Empower us to become the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. Make us holy, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening.